As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Season 5 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about the value of thinking about experience holistically customers, employees, and the business, so that when it's done well, everybody wins. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Adrian Swinsko, customer service and experience advisor, mentor, author of the book Punk XL, and host of the Punk CX podcast. Adrian, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg, how you doing? Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to talking about this. And yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on your show uh, the other day as well. So let's... Uh, Get to get to talk with you a few times here. So why don't, why don't we um, get started by you giving a little background on uh, yourself as well as what you're currently doing? Sure. Um, so my name is Adrian Swinscoe. I guess I am an author, an advisor, a thinker, an explorer about the sort of service and experience space. Uh, I've been doing. I've been focusing on this sort of space for the last sort of fifteen years. I do quite a lot of writing. So I have a blog, I have a podcast, I've written four books, I had a Forbes column for, is it nine or 10 years? I think it's 10 years this year. Nice. And do a bunch of things in this sort of space. I, I guess on the one side, I, I advise companies directly with some of the services experience challenges that they have. And on the other side of things, I work with service providers in this space. I like BPOs or agencies or consultancies or tech providers around doing research or speaking or panels or webinars or you know that type of that, that type of stuff. Yeah. And the thing that I'm really, really interested in more than anything else is how do we develop, nurture, grow, establish organizations that produce better outcomes for both their customers and their people? 
Great, great. Yeah, love it. And yeah, definitely you're you do you do a few things there. So I I mean, I think it's great cuz it gives you I think it gives you such a great window into kind of looking at problems from a bunch of different perspectives and you know, one one of those is, you know, writing writing your book. I know you've written a few here, but one of the things I wanted to talk about here today was uh, you wrote a book called Punk XL, and that where the XL stands for Experience Leadership. So I wanted to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. And why don't, why don't we start by what? What do you mean by experience leadership? So thank you for that. I mean, it's um, so I should say that I guess a common th- statement or theme, or is commonly accepted that customer experience is one of the one of the biggest differentiators in marketplaces these days, yeah. and the thing about all that, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about, well, we talk about brand leadership, and we talk about market leadership, and we talk about economic leadership, and so on and so forth. But we don't talk about experience leadership and what that means. Yeah. And so I was thinking about that and thinking about that on the back of the Punk CX book, which just explored CX mostly. And it occurred to me since that that was published, that was published back in... 2019, it became increasingly apparent that it's no longer sufficient just to talk about customer experience in isolation, and that actually to deliver a great customer experience, and it requires all sorts of different kind of parts to fit together, requires kind of the right sort of employee experience, the right sort of people in that, requires the right sort of organizational sort of structure and layout and all these sort of things in order to deliver to your customers. It also then requires the right sort of relationships with your customers and the right customers. And then ultimately beyond that, it also, I think, requires a big part of experience, which is growing in the minds of many people, both customers and employees, and also broader stakeholders, is the impact companies have on the world. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a long answer to what is Punk XL. <laughs> it's trying to not define it, not say this is exactly what it is, but to start a conversation which says, I think we need to talk about this. Yeah. And that's what it means. That's what the book is intended to do. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's a lot of different combinations of things that uh, even that you just mentioned in, in that explanation. But, you know, the book the book goes into a, a lot greater detail in, in many of those things. One thing I wanted to start by talking about is, and it's certainly something I've written about and talked about and think about plenty is relationship between customer experience and employee experience. And I think Mm -hmm. more and more organizations are getting on board with this idea that yes, these things are related, but are they doing stuff about it? You know, so what, what are, what are brands maybe getting wrong when they're siloing? They may have great intentions with employee experience, may have great intentions with CX, but you know, what are they getting wrong when they silo these things and think of them as, as unrelated? Yeah, so I think the thing that I struggle with, particularly in terms of employee experience, is the idea that a lot of the times people talk about conditions at work and how do you kind of like enable kind of that, how do you give people better conditions at work, kind of be, you know, and support them in their kind of growth and and make it easy for them to book time off or take time off or kind of whatever it might be. Yeah. The thing that misses, I think is missing in the employee experience space is the operational side. I, what do we do to help people be excellent in the moment and deliver their best? 
And I think this is is particularly highlighted when you think about the situation of, say, a customer service agent. And if you think about how customers are frequently these days trying to self-serve, so they don't want to go and wait in a queue or send a message to somebody to wait for a response. They want to self-serve. But sometimes when they can't self-serve because the thing's too complicated or complex or urgent or nuanced or whatever, they will reach out to somebody. Now, when they, if they've expended all that effort and then they go and speak to an agent, now if that agent is then having to navigate s- somewhere between sort of nine and 15 on average different apps in order to be able to solve yeah. the, the, the large, largest proportion of customer inquiries, sort of the, the organizational structure or the technological makeup of that, that organization isn't really set up to help that agent be excellent in the moment. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing, because actually what's interesting about that is that those interactions, given the amount of effort that customers have had, had to expand in order to get to an agent, their expectations that, they're, that you're going to be equipped and enabled and supported in order to deliver a fast and effective and efficient resolution to their inquiry, it just goes up. Yeah. And so yeah. if we're not doing our utmost to help those agents be excellent in the moment, then we're letting our both, I think, our employees down and our customers are down. And therefore, you can see in that simple example that actually a customer's experience and an employee or under agent's experience, they're very, very closely fused together. And if you get one right, then you can really facilitate positive outcomes in the other one. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I think it's the the employee experience component. It's I think it's easy to see it when maybe it's in real life and, you know, you're at a restaurant or in a hotel or, you know, there's those frontline employees that are, you know, you can physically see and and interact with. But, but to your point, you know, there's the customer support scenario. There's, there's even people further behind the scenes that Mm. have a huge impact. You know, I, I always go back to like product design, you know, somebody sitting in a room writing code, you think, okay, well, you know, we don't put them, they're not client facing or, or whatever. And yet they're designing the experiences that all of your customers are having. And if they don't understand and have empathy with your customers, you got a problem, right? So, it's, sure. you know, it's, it's not just the more visible or even audible, you know, components, right? I mean, I have a great story about that. It's, it's from a... Um company, a UK company who are a financial services institution, and they're purely online and have been since the very their very inception. They've been around for about 20 years now. And one of the things that they did, to which exactly to that point, is from time to time, they bring customers into their offices to actually do real transactions, to kind of log into mm-hmm. the platform and do real transactions. And they take a whole bunch of you know, support people and engineers and coders and designers and marketeers and like a whole bunch of people and then put them behind a one-way mirror in a soundproof room to watch the customer do something. And it's a fascinating exercise. And it's it's almost yeah. a bit like, imagine that thing from back in school days, that, you know, when you can draw your fingernails down a chalkboard <laughs> right? and it goes, it's like a screech. That's how it makes people feel because... What you end up seeing in real time is the thing that you have made or the thing that you have designed or colored or worded or whatever smash into reality. Yeah. Yeah. And you cannot escape 
kind of that sort of feedback. But what it's brilliant about doing is it's brilliant by showing what shining a light on what seems obvious to you. It's this curse of expert knowledge, as it were. Yeah. So what seems obvious to you isn't always obvious to others. Yeah. And bringing your people and giving them as, as much exposure as possible to the trials and travails of the, the things that your customers go through is just going to help in their experience and help them do better work. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, what, what about the relationship? You know, we've talked about employees and customer experience, that kind of, you know, assuming kind of once, once they're a customer, that, that kind of relationship, but what, what about marketing and customer experience? I mean, a lot of, a lot of organizations, even very large organizations that I work with as, as a consultant and advisor, customer experience can kind of be lumped under marketing in some case, you know, a CMO will mm-hmm. kind of get CX glommed onto their role for better or worse. I won't, I'll save my commentary on whether or not that that's a good idea or not. And, and uh, as a, in most cases, you know, it always depends on the org too. But, you know, what? how do you think about this relationship between marketing and, and customer experience? Well, I think broadly, I would say that marketing is a subset of customer experience. Hmm. Although, if you think about it, if you step back and you look at it, at the actual words, then marketing is, is a function. It's something that we do, whereas customer experience or experiences something that a customer experiences, pardon the yeah. pun. Yeah. And so we don't do customer experience. We can try and manage it. We can try and facilitate it, but we don't do it. We can't create somebody's experience. We can only kind of create the conditions for them to hopefully have a positive experience because there's stuff that happens, and then there's what we make it mean, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so marketing, I think, is a subset of that, but it's actually more in that sort of doing sort of thing. But I, I think that from a governor's perspective, I would suggest that there's a, there's, a, there's a reasonable argument that says, yeah, marketing, because they're about, you know, creating awareness and generating demand and building relationships with customers, then they should potentially own customer experience at an organizational level. Yeah. But that would require them expanding their portfolio massively, and that would uh, that would include bringing things like customer service and retention and loyalty and all those things under one umbrella. Yeah, and that's a big ask for many organisations, and a big ask for CMOs who don't have that sort of experience across the piece to be able to manage that whole that that whole journey, as it were. Yeah, I, and I I I love the way you're describing this because it it is it is apples and orange you know they aren't the same you know it's you you can i would argue you can do customer support you mm-hmm. know that that can be a function just like you can do marketing but you know i think thinking in that way it does reframe what exactly is doing customer experience like what what is doing customer experience mean that's uh, yeah, i yeah i love that i love that way of thinking about it Before we continue, let's take a quick break. If you're like many marketing leaders today, you're inundated with a need to improve the customer experience across an increasing number of channels and touch points, all while ensuring your team is performing well, innovating, and continuously improving. So how do you find the time to determine what's next for you, your team, your brand, and your customers? My company, GK5A, can help. 
Whether it is advisory services, evaluation of marketing technology platforms and solutions, or digital agencies and implementation partners, or assistance with creating strategic roadmaps and prioritization of efforts, we've done it all and served as an ally to Fortune 1000 brands and industries like financial services, healthcare, consumer electronics, professional services, and more. You can learn more about these services and contact us at www.gk5a. That's www.gk5a.com. Now let's get back to the show. So you you had mentioned leaders earlier on in your book, you know, XL stands for experience leadership. Let's talk a little bit about about that. And I, I want to, you know, I'm I'm of the belief that leaders at this point, there may be a few holdouts or something, but I think most leaders are bought into the premise that, yes, we need to make investments in creating a better experience for customers as as well as employees. Maybe don't know the best way to do it or the best way to focus or organize their, you know, their departments and divisions as we were just talking about. But Mm -hmm. how should leaders think about measuring success in this experience leadership approach? So I think that the thing that the, the way to think about it, I would suggest, is related to something I said right at the beginning. Is that I'm interested in outcomes, and I think we need to think about measuring success in terms of outcomes, not metrics, but outcomes. Yeah. I think because your metrics are, it's a bit like this. It's a bit like an analogy, right? If you're driving a car, now you are your journey is about getting from A to B. Yeah. But your metrics, i.e. how much fuel you've got and the, the temperature of your engine and how much oil and your rev counter and all these things, those are your metrics that tell you how you're going along the way. But arriving at your destination is the actual safely and in one piece without much stress and all that type of stuff. That's the outcome that you want to generate. Yeah. And I think that that's where we leaders need to think about. It. It's like, what is the outcome they want to generate? And that requires them to think forward about the sort of vision that they have, the experience that they would like their customers to have at a future point in time. Then they need to think about what they need to do in order to build that or to kind of build towards that. And then kind of align it with their business and corporate objectives, such that the majority of things that they do, the main things that they do, should be able, they should be able to tie to their their business outcomes, i.e. generating greater demand, kind of being able to convert kind of more attention into custom, you know, um, increasing average spend, increasing frequency of spend, and maybe reducing cost of operations. Yeah. All of those things, those I mean, those are five the five, I would say, major and general levers in most businesses. Those are the sort of outcomes we should be we should be focusing on. How do we tie our efforts to those outcomes and they will drive customer numbers, revenue numbers, and profitability. So in other words, instead of creating new KPIs or new measurements from having great CX in the organization, it's more about aligning CX and showing the relationship between those drivers, you know, like the ones that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because here's the thing. It's like, Improving your customer satisfaction is no guarantee that you are going to uh, generate more business. Yeah, yeah. And that's the that that you know that's the, the just the the truth and the fact of the matter. Yeah. Your metrics are there to help you measure 
how you're going along the path that you are that you're currently kind of on and it's, it's about measurement of progress yeah but it's not the outcome yeah i i, I love that way of of thinking because yeah all all anybody needs is yet another set of charts on a dashboard or anything like that so you know being able to align that with the things that are already meaningful and, and important to the org i think that 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 just makes it it's so much more valuable mm-hmm. it also about it's also about relevance as well greg yeah it's like if you can turn around and go my cx initiatives are aligned to these drivers and you can go and have a conversation with your cfo and your cto and your ceo about that and they'll go huh yeah well that makes yeah. sense yeah agreed from this experience leadership mindset you know you do a lot of work in the in the space and talk with a lot of companies is there anything i don't know if cautions is too strong a word but like do you have any cautions or things to be cautious about when approaching things with this mindset like what what are some best practices well yeah i would put a health warning on this actually <laughs> in terms of it maybe it's a caution but i think the uh, thing that i would say is that the and the health warning would be this is not going to be easy and actually the hardest thing to change or the thing to be cautious about or be mindful of is that the hardest thing to change might be yourself mm. because it's experienced leadership that it's it's the book is organized in a way to think about what would you think about it it's like whether you're a leader whether you're a leader in a position of authority or you're just like an individual that leads as it were everything starts with you and then it builds out to your team and your peers and then your organization and then your customers and then the broader kind of world it so it starts with individuals yeah. and if we all therefore we all have to take responsibility for seeing things differently going the extra mile doing better work and so on and so forth and that may actually force us to challenge what we do and how we do how we do things in order to create that better work yeah and so that's the kind of the word of caution i would say is like going hmm this is probably not an easy path and it might change you yeah yeah got it i wanted to talk a little bit about your your book i'm you know which i mentioned punk xl and talk a little bit about the process for writing it Mm-hmm. So, certainly something I have personal interest in, uh, you know, always kind of discussing that. What was, you know, what was kind of the, the impetus behind writing and, and collaborating? Because you, you had some contributors as well, you know, collaborating with the others that, that contributed to the book. Um, so the first thing about that, that, that so I, I um, so Punk XL came on the back of Punk CX. And because it's, it's a very, it's almost started like a graphic novel in many ways. Yeah. It's like full color. It's, it's inspired by punk music and punk fanzines and things. And so when I had this idea about the punk XL, which which I sort of, in inverted commas, described as being almost the second album. <laughs> nice. And it had that sort of second album feel to it. And I was a bit nervous about that. So I thought, first of all, one way I could test the idea, the hypothesis behind the book with a whole bunch of people. But I could also borrow an idea from hip hop and have a whole bunch of tracks on there. So, you know, you have a track featuring such and such artist. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I thought that was a way of doing one sort of almost like testing whether or not I'm mad in terms of this hypothesis. <laughs> and actually, I had a whole bunch of lovely people who came back and said, you're not mad. I think this is great. Would love to contribute. Yeah. And it, I think it created a much richer kind of thing and also a network of people, which is which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so that was kind of the, that was some of the reasoning kind of behind it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And definitely, you know, I, the, the visual component of it, just the way that, that this and, and the prior book, the Punk CX book are, are put together, just, I think it makes it interesting. It's, you know, we're talking about experience after all. So, you know, it's, it's nice to have a book that you can experience in a, in a, in a slightly different way as well. Yeah. What did you as I mentioned, you know, this is definitely not your first book, but, you know, was there anything you learned as you were writing, you know, anything you learned specifically when you're working on this book? I think the, the, the biggest thing I learned about this was actually the collaboration with other people. And what was interesting, because it's like, not, I'm not just then writing a book, but I'm curating its yeah. content, but I'm also editing uh, people's kind of thoughts and ideas and in some in some instances was almost because almost coaching people into a writing style or trying to harness or find their voice as it were and that was really interesting and i find that was hugely hugely rewarding particularly with people that weren't necessarily natural writers or hadn't done a lot of writing before and but when they got it and they produced something and some of the stuff was like zany, like, you know, so we've had poems in there and like there's an angry letter and, and it's, 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 yeah. it's beautiful, but it reflects different people's approaches to the challenge that was laid in front of them, which was fantastic. And it all fits in with that whole, that sort of Excel framework. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's so great because, you know, I, I know a lot of people that, you know, I've written a few books myself and and I like doing it. I, I enjoy it. So it comes easily and... And I, it's easy for me to devote the time to it. But I know a lot of people that, you know, really smart people have amazing ideas, but just, it's just kind of not their thing. You mm. know, they're not going to sit down and, and write a book or maybe they want to, but it just, you know, other things get in the way and, and stuff. So I like, I love your approach there of coaching and, you know, did, has that kind of changed the way you think about your own writing? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think the thing is, I've always kind of like said that, there's sort of two things. One is that I find there's many people that write books because they want them, they want it to take them somewhere. And then there's another group of, that write books that just happen to write books along the way. Yeah, and it's yeah. almost like a synthesis of stuff that they've been thinking about. And I'm very much in the latter kind of camp because I'm continually kind of writing and exploring things. And I've always thought about my my writing and podcasting and everything else is. I think about it as in this way, I, I, and I've used this way of describing it for years now. It's like I always describe it as my public thinking digital notebook. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So it doesn't have to be right. It's just me thinking out loud and exploring things. And if it happens to be useful and valuable to other people, brilliant. I'm pleased. But it's I do it primarily for myself and for the conversations I have with other people. And if you focus on creating something which I hope that, that helps me understand and grapple and explain something to myself or to the person I'm kind of like talking to, then there's a reasonable likelihood well, and also hope that it's going to be helpful to others. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I love that. Um, well, and one one last thing along those lines, but last question before we we wrap up here, because you do work in in many mediums. What's your what's your thought process of you know what what's a book versus a podcast episode versus a blog post versus a video? You know how what's your way of thinking about you know you have a great idea how what's what's the best way to get that out? Um. Crumbs. I wish I was. I, I wish I was that diligent in my thinking. <laughs> I sometimes just kind of. I have two things. I have almost like my two primary sources as I either write something, uh, see something, and I and I try and wrestle with it and write it out, or I arrange to have a conversation with somebody on my podcast and have a bit of a rummage around it. Yeah, and yeah. those two things can feed each other, but those are my kind of almost my R and D lab as it were the writing and the podcasting and they kind of they're the 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 it's like a fusion of ideas it's like a and, and yeah we have a rummage around and we ruminate and boil and simmer and and stir sort of things around and that's where i come up with the best ideas talking to people is, is often the best way of, of figuring things out yeah i completely agree well again i'd like to thank adrian swinsko for joining the show you can learn more about adrian and his work including his books and podcasts and and other things by following the links in the show notes thanks again for listening to the agile brand with greg kilstrom podcast brought to you by tech systems if you enjoyed the show please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkillstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website, or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 